Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. Well, good morning from me, everyone. Welcome again to Living Rock Church. Special shout out to all our friends in Market Harbour this morning. Just listening for the little whoop back. There it is. Thank you. Glad you're with us. It's really good that I can be in your living rooms with you this morning. Also, welcome this morning to British Summertime. Um, I've never been the spokesperson of a whole time zone before, but I thought I'd just try that one on and see how it fits. So uh, welcome, long nights, I'm looking forward to them. You know, we're coming to the end of our teaching series through the book of Numbers. After this week, we've got about another four weeks together looking at this Old Testament book. And as you know, the book of Numbers is the account of God's people from the period about one year after they left the land of Egypt until just before they entered the land that God had promised to them. A period of around 40 years. A time actually which had not been completely plain sailing at all. In fact, a journey which we're told could have taken as little as 11 days actually took the people 40 years due to rebellion and disobedience and a lack of faith in the promises of God. And during all this time, Moses had been the leader of the nation. You probably already know that Moses was first called by God to lead the people out of Egypt and into the Promised Land right back in Exodus chapter 3. And God said this to Moses, he said, So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to stick a little map on the screen right now. I uh, I don't know about you, but I I quite like looking at maps. It really helps me uh, understand what's going on. But just to say this, as far as we know, Moses had not actually ever seen himself the land that God had promised to his people. Moses spent the early years of his life in Egypt. So if you look at the little map, the bit of land right in the middle, which looks like a really sharp tooth, that's what they call the Sinai Peninsula. And to the left of that is the continent of Africa and the land of Egypt. And that's where Moses grew up. But Moses had to flee the land of Egypt when he was about 40 years old. And and he headed the other side of that little pointy tooth bit, the uh, Sinai Peninsula, ended up in, in the land of Midian. Today we call that Saudi Arabia, that's where it is. But uh, Moses had spent half his life in Egypt and about half his life in the land of Midian. He'd never seen with his own eyes the promised land that God had spoken to him about. And in spite of never seeing the promised land himself, Moses trusted God. His self-confidence wobbled from time to time, but his faith in God did not shake. This was the man to whom God had shown himself in the burning bush and through the mighty miracles in Egypt, through the parting of the Red Sea and on Mount Sinai when the law was given and when God uh, revealed his presence to Moses as he passed him by on the mountain. In fact, the word of God says that there has never been another prophet in Israel like Moses who knew the Lord face to face. As we have travelled with the children of Israel through the account in the book of Numbers, we remember the times that Moses had to deal with frustrations uh, from the people and disappointments. 
Questions asked over his leadership. And even the people declaring that they'd be better off back in Egypt than following Moses. There was fearfulness in taking the promised land after it was spied out, such that God had declared that the current generation would not enter the land. And the nation was to continue in their wilderness years for much, much longer. We will remember the accounts of water being provided out of the rock on two occasions. And the way on that second time when Moses struck the rock in frustration and anger and, and spoke harshly to the people. Uh, read that in Numbers chapter 20. And as a result of that, uh, God declared that Moses himself would not be permitted to enter the land. And just looking at this little map again, which shows us the route that the children of Israel took out of Egypt up, until, up to the promised land. We've been speaking recently about the way the people uh, kind of edged their way around the south and eastern border of the promised land, up through Moab, and with God's help, defeating those who stood in their way. Moses still leading the people, still moving on, despite God's decree that he would not himself enter the promised land. You know, every step that Moses took forward was a step nearer to his own death. And despite this, Moses kept going. And this brings me to the account I'd like to share uh, with us together this morning, which is found in Numbers and chapter 27. So if you turn to your Bible, I'm going to start reading from verse 12. And I'm reading this morning from the New Living Translation. One day, the Lord said to Moses, climb one of the mountains east of the river and look out over the land I have given the people of Israel. After you have seen it, you will die like your brother Aaron, for you both rebelled against my instructions in the wilderness of Zin. When the people of Israel rebelled, you failed to demonstrate my holiness to them at the waters. These are the waters of Meribah at Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. Then Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, you are the God who gives breath to all creatures. Please appoint a new man as leader for the community. Give them someone who will guide them wherever they go and will lead them into battle. So the community of the Lord will not be like sheep without a shepherd. The Lord replied, take Joshua, son of Nun, who has the spirit in him, and lay your hands on him. Present him to Eleazar the priest before the whole community, and publicly commission him to lead the people. Transfer some of your authority to him, so the whole community of Israel will obey him. When direction from the Lord is needed, Joshua will stand before Eleazar the priest, who will use the Urim, one of the sacred lots cast before the Lord, to determine his will. This is how Joshua and the rest of the community of Israel will determine everything they should do. So, Moses did as the Lord commanded. He presented Joshua to Eleazar the priest and the whole community. Moses laid his hands on him and commissioned him to lead the people, just as the Lord had commanded through Moses. Amen. So, 
This passage we've read begins with a command from God to Moses. Climb one of the mountains east of the river. We know from elsewhere in scripture that the actual mountain was Mount Nebo. God said, look out over the land I have given to the people of Israel. So far, so good, hey? And after you have seen it, you will die like your brother Aaron. So Moses was to go out on a journey. He was going to go to the top of a mountain and then he was to die. And whilst I know at home, some of you are thinking, I've been on walks like that. It was nothing like that at all. Moses had a word over his life from God. And God had said, your time has come, Moses, for you to die. But first, I'm going to show you the land. Because Moses said, you, sorry, God said to Moses, you failed to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel at the waters. Can you begin to imagine the inner turmoil in, in Moses? He knew his days were going to come to an end, but now he's, he's always been given a date. And, uh, and he has to deal with that at the same time as leading the people forward. So we're going to look this morning at what Moses did next, because first of all, it enables us to have a really good grasp of the scripture and to see where this passage fits into the narrative of the first five books of the Old Testament. And then after that, it would be good to see how we can take God's invitation to Moses and apply it to our own situation. Listen, that's not because I'm saying that we are just like Moses but I know that God is just like God. He is faithful and he is unchanging. His covenant promises are laid out before us and we can view them and step right into them this morning. So where does this all fit in? Well, first thing to say is Numbers 27 is not the account of the death of Moses. In fact, Moses is still very much alive at the end of the book of Numbers. And in fact, you need to keep reading all the way to the end of the next book, Deuteronomy, to find the account of the death of Moses. And it's worth keeping in mind that the the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, the four books of the Old Testament which tell us about the life and the times of Moses, are um, very similar in their length, very similar in the amount of space they they take up in our Bible, but very different indeed in actually the the time span that each book talks about. Exodus covers a period of about 40 years. Uh, Leviticus, a much, much shorter period. Some commentators think uh, that it could be an account of about 10 days, a very short period of time. The book of Numbers is talking about another 40-year passage of time. And then Deuteronomy is different again. Deuteronomy is talking about a passage of time from when God told Moses to climb the mountain to the end of Moses' life. Again, a period which could have been as little as about a month. So very different timescales. And in that time, from God instructing Moses to climb the mountain and him actually doing it, Moses took the time to pour out his heart to the people. And that's how we read the book of Deuteronomy. Moses retelling the people of how they were rescued from captivity in Egypt, retelling the people of God's wholehearted faithfulness towards them and encouraging them in response to be wholehearted and faithful in their response to God. I found it really helpful to read Deuteronomy, remembering that this is Moses pouring out his heart to the nation, retelling the most important things that he wants the people to know. 
One of the most striking aspects of the passage that we've read is that when God has told Moses that his life is shortly to end, Moses' concern is not for himself, but rather it is for the people under his leadership and care. Moses says to God, you are the God who gives breath to all creatures. Please appoint a new man as leader of the community so the community of the Lord will not be like sheep without a shepherd. And this phrase, like sheep without a shepherd, that's quite a familiar phrase to us, isn't it? Does it ring any bells? I think we've heard that before somewhere. And we have, you know, in Matthew's Gospel, speaking of Jesus, Matthew writes, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. But do you spot the difference? Matthew is talking about a crowd of all sorts of people. Moses is talking about the community of the Lord needing a shepherd. It's not just the multitude, the lost, who are in need of a shepherd. It is the community of the Lord. You know, we all need shepherds. And yes, even the shepherds need a shepherd. Moses actually was a shepherd, a literal shepherd, at the time that God originally called him. Moses knew that in the same way as sheep need a shepherd, people also need a shepherd in their lives. A shepherd will say, here, hit some good pasture. There's nourishment for you here. Come and feed. Coming this way will keep you healthy. Coming this way will keep you out of harm. A spiritual shepherd will say, listen, this truth can be relied upon. Do you know, we live in an age where uh, people say that truth can be almost whatever it suits us to say. We can have my truth and we can have your truth and they can be completely different, but somehow they're both true. And in this day and in this age particularly, we need a shepherd to guide us into what is really true, what is really right. It is very important that we all know who our shepherds are. Last week, when we were gathered together, we saw two men added to the eldership of Living Rock Church. And one of the roles of elders is to shepherd the flock. That is to provide spiritual counsel and care for the body of believers. There may be others too who are shepherds in our lives, but it's vital that we know who they are. And listen, it's also vital that we are intentional in allowing, allowing ourselves to be shepherded by them. As a bit of an aside, we know that this year has had some particular challenges in that respect. It's more difficult to be in shepherding situations when we have restrictions on our meeting together. But that should not stop the shepherding. In our own church context, we have been trying to ensure there's plenty to engage with online for all ages that is going to build us up together to enable us to hear the voice of the shepherds. And that's not just on a Sunday. We've been trying to create space, space for people to find uh, time through pastoral Zooms. And uh, they have to be used not for people in a crisis, but all of the time, just in order that we can spend time with one another to make sure we're knowing what's going on in one another's lives, to make sure we are able to stand alongside one another effectively in prayer. And of course, we can always ring and video call each other whenever we like. 
As a shepherd, I find it quite sad sometimes to hear people say that they haven't been in touch because we're too busy. (laughs) I just want to say again, we're not too busy. We love to hear from people. So let's be all really deliberate in our shepherding of one another, of allowing ourselves to be in shepherding situations. But back to Moses. Moses had been the shepherd of Israel for 40 years. He passionately believed what he asked of God to provide a new leader so the people were not to be left as sheep without a shepherd. And we go on to read that the Lord instructed Moses to lay hands on Joshua, his assistant, and to publicly commission him to lead the people. And just as we witnessed the laying on of hands in this building last weekend, there was a public commissioning of Joshua. Spiritual authority was imparted to him in order that Joshua could fulfil his commission to shepherd the community of the Lord and to be their leader and to lead them into battle. And all the book of Deuteronomy is taken up with what Moses did left next, practising what he preached, shepherding the people, showing them God's faithful promises, leading them again to good pasture, teaching the way that leads to life and not to death, insisting they remember the commands of the Lord, declaring afresh God's covenant of unfailing love. And so to Nebo, God said that Moses was to climb to the top of Mount Nebo to look out over the land. Why did God want to show Moses the land? I believe this is a demonstration that God is both just and holy in not allowing Moses to enter the land, but also full of kindness and full of grace. For even when Moses could not enter the land himself, God permitted him to see the place that his whole life had been leading to. Now, I'll not be surprising anyone at all by saying that when we go up higher, it changes our perspective. We can see things from up high that we cannot see from down below. Maybe we've climbed a hill near to where we live and we see the landscape in front of us. We see how everything fits together. Sometimes we look from up high and are surprised at where things actually are. Sometimes you stand in a high place and you can look at perhaps a road that you've driven down many times and you've always thought it was a really straight road. But when you look from on high, you can see it was not straight at all. (laughs) It's, It's very subtle, but there are lots of bends in the road. We get fresh perspective when we go up high. And you know, things that appear big and important when we're down in the valley are tiny and insignificant when viewed from on high. I was curious as to exactly what Moses would have seen on the day he climbed to the top of Mount Nebo. We don't have to be curious. Google is our friend in this respect. There are many images online showing the view over the promised land from Mount Nebo. We just uh, found a few pictures just to have a look at together this morning. This is what Moses would have seen. The very fulfilment of the promise that God had made to him. 
when he said, I have come down to rescue them and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. Nowadays, on the top of Mount Nebo, there's a very helpful little chart which points out all the places in the distance. When Moses climbed Mount Nebo, the chart wasn't there. You knew that, didn't you? But if it was a clear day, then Moses would have looked out and he would have been able to see the walled city of Jericho. And beyond that, he'd have been able to see the Mount of Olives and Jerusalem. And a little further off still, perhaps not quite visible from the top of Mount Nebo, a little dwelling that's going to be established called Bethlehem. And just as Moses took in the view from Nebo and saw the fulfilment of the promise that God had made to him, so today we can look at exactly the same view and see the fulfilment of the new and better covenant that was to come. A covenant in which God says that all people can know peace and friendship with God through his son, Jesus. Over there, Bethlehem, where the Son of God came as a little baby, an ordinary place among ordinary people to experience the day-to-day of ordinary human life. Look out for the mountain. Jesus' entire life was spent in this promised land, teaching people about God's love for them and to declare that captives will be released and the oppressed will be set free and the time of God's favour had come. And then a little nearer still we see Jerusalem, the scene of Jesus' death by crucifixion, a horrible, undignified, painful death at the best of times and multiplied by the weight of all of mankind's sin, all of our rebellion Uh, from God, rendering him completely alone in his death. Jesus innocent himself, but choosing to be charged as guilty out of love for people like you and for me. But that, as we know, is not the end. For Jerusalem was also the setting for Jesus' resurrection from death. Death itself was no match for the life-giving, life-transforming power of God. It was in and around Jerusalem and then further north around Galilee that Jesus appeared alive to many, many people. And he commissioned them to go into the nations and make disciples and be sure that his enduring presence would be with them forever. His followers were back in Jerusalem when Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to be with them and to empower them in the outworking of the mission of God and to be with us and to empower us in the outworking of the mission of God. And you might be thinking this sounds a little bit fanciful, pretending that we're standing on a mountain we've never actually seen with our own eyes, picturing a scene um, of all that's happened in the past. But I do believe that there's something that God wants to reveal to us this morning and to say that we, just like Moses, can follow the invitation to come higher. 
to climb up the mountain, to take on a new perspective, to see things as he does. God speaks to us in his word a lot about this new perspective, about allowing the um, things that we see to, to look different when we choose to come up high with him. He speaks to us about the things that we can see when we allow the Holy Spirit to change our viewpoint. God says that if Jesus is our Lord, then we are seated with him in heavenly realms because we are reunited, because we're united with Jesus. Our perspective has changed. The battle with our old sinful nature has been won by Jesus once and for all. God says that we should set our sights on the realities of heaven. Jesus is returning. Our future is assured. How wonderful is that? From the high place, we can choose to think about the things of heaven and not the things of earth. Because our real life is with Christ. It's hidden in Christ. God says to us today that we're not to settle for camping out in the valley when we can enjoy each day dwelling in his presence. For Christ's resurrection is our resurrection. He has given us eternal life with God and you know that has already started. God wants to remind us today that just as Moses was chosen, so we have been chosen. As Moses was commissioned, so we have been commissioned. As Moses saw the fulfilment of God's promise, so we can also stand back and admire the view as we see God's covenant promise to us fulfilled in Jesus. God says that we've been given a new way of thinking that gives us fresh perspectives. We don't have to copy the behaviour of the world around us. But we can allow God, by his Holy Spirit, to transform us by changing the way that we think. And when we learn to think as God shows us, then we will know his will for us, which is good and pleasing to him. God says to us that if we are controlled by his Holy Spirit, then we will think about things that please the Spirit. There's no more having to be helplessly contending with our sinful nature. We are no longer completely powerless to it because the Holy Spirit, as we were singing earlier, has freed us from the power of sin that leads to death. Taking the view. Let's admire what we can see together this morning. So the Lord says to us today, come higher. Confidently approach me. Admire the view of all that I have done. I know that for many of us, this last year has brought some very specific challenges. Our routines have been thrown up into the air and new rhythms of life have had to be adopted. There have been many voices all around us which threaten to crowd out the voice of the Holy Spirit. Maybe this morning some of us are feeling firmly stuck in the valley. 
this morning it's time to throw off despondency it's time to stop being a valley dweller the Lord says it's time to come higher it's time to start recalling my many powerful promises it's time to change perspective it's time for my people to be a beacon to the nation it's time for my people to be hope bringers displaying my faithfulness to the current generation and as I was thinking about this I felt the Lord say to us together that we should not neglect the singing of songs of ascent singing as we come higher together you know, may know that some of the psalms are called psalms of ascent they're the psalms the pilgrims on the way to Jerusalem would have sung together as they literally ascended as they headed up towards the temple to worship God together but I believe too there are songs for us that we can sing together that help us in our ascent that help us to come higher that help us to come into the presence of God that help us to recall the many powerful and faithful promises his covenant that he's declared over our lives so for us in our gatherings large and small which will be starting soon singing songs will help us come higher so that no one is left behind songs that declare his promises and his faithfulness songs that declare the hope that we have in Jesus songs that help us draw close as the covenant people of God so that together we can stand with a new perspective ready for a new season of fruitfulness looking confidently from the high place over the fulfillment of God's precious promises to us I believe we've been singing songs of ascent together already this morning <laughs> Lord we want to lift your name on high <laughs> Lord we want to thank you for the work you've done in our lives and Lord we trust in your unfailing love for you alone a God eternal throughout earth and the heavens above it's a song of ascent we're going to finish our time together this morning by continuing to sing songs together that help us come into the presence of God let's do that together right now Will thanks for joining us today search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching